Welcome to The Hard Way with Anvil T&D, where three Australian veterans cover everything physical and mental health, business, education, and life lessons learned the hard way. Each episode, the Anvil team challenge themselves, their guests, and their listeners to ask the hard questions, acknowledge their biases, broaden their perspective, and have a laugh along the way. Now, here are your hosts, Dan, Marshall, and Nathan. Beware the dark humor and enjoy the podcast. Constantly under pressure. Um, but then the last phase is the more chronic phase, and that's the phase that can lead to actually call, like be pathological, like actually help contribute towards disease or death. Um, so I'll start this off with um, a little bit of medical history, I guess. Um, once upon a time, uh, they... <laughs> Yeah, literally. That's how it starts. Um, yeah, I know. Yeah. When you say it like that, it almost sounds like it's not true. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's whimsical and fun. Um, yeah, so once uh, humans, so ancient Egypt, uh, they once thought that the heart was the um, sole kind of workhorse of the entire body. Everything that the body did was going through the heart. This included um, emotion, thoughts, um, even digestive um, digestive function all went through the heart. Um, that's, I think, just, you know, a sign of the times. It's, mm. it's like the, one of the only things they could really actually, uh, um, I guess, see, I think, because, you know, the brain yeah. the, the brain doesn't really beat or anything, but the heart is constantly giving off um, little pumps to let you know it's there and doing yeah. stuff. Their X-ray machines weren't calibrated. No, <laughs> slightly uh, a little bit too much to the south. Mm. Yeah. Um, but obviously over time and today's age uh, with the scientific era and scientific revolution is um, we now know that most things, well, emotions and stress and things like that are from chemical release within the body um, and within the brain. And in this case, stress is um, from cortisol, which is released from the adrenal glands. Um, and that is just, if you're just curious, just near your kidneys. Um, and the way we respond to stress um, is something that we've spoken about in the past, someone's reaction to a stressful event is heavily dictated by their past experiences. Um, I think on the other show last week or this week, we were saying how with, um, say, children, you know, they scream and cry over what may to adults is considered trivial or childish. But, you know, if you take it from the child's perspective, that is the worst thing that's ever happened to them. And you can scale that up to adults. Um, you know, everyone's probably seen someone they consider to be maybe spoon-fed the whole life. Um, once they get or something stressful happens, they don't react very well because they've never really had to or been placed in stressful situations before. Um, and not only in the psychological sense, but also in the physiological because um, part of the, so the general adaptation syndrome or GAS as it's uh, just referred to, is that it actually is designed to improve your ability to respond to stress as well. It's not just the physiological response, it's also improving the response. It's the way the body's adapted um, and evolved over time. Um, but yeah, so there are three phases. Um, and you, well, before I go into that, I will say um, in the modern worlds we you know we everyone's probably heard of uh what first world problems um and a lot of that and for anyone that's likely listening us and anyone else has probably has the uh privilege of access to internet the um that's probably the main stuff that we're really exposed to um we 
most people aren't exposed to extended periods of high intensity, like say you lived in a war zone or something like that, where something like um, chronic stress and, uh, is more common um, or you're more at risk of. But most people uh, in Western society, um, it's more just this the first phase definitely because everyone experiences stress at some point and the second phase as well like i said before with uh things like a stressful job um and some common physiological um indicators that you're under stress um and again everyone's probably familiar with these is things like um your increased heart rate and breathing um something you may not realize also your blood pressure will go up um and these are the kind of just observable indicators that something which is the stress hormone cortisol can give. Um, I guess also, side little note, uh, stimulants, so caffeine is probably the main one, um, is, it is called a stimulant for a reason. It um, releases cortisol or causes a cortisol release in your body and um, that's why when people drink coffee, yeah, it gives them a rush, but it also is spiking these um, indicators. Same with cigarettes. Yeah, cigarettes as well. Yeah, I don't know if I've told you guys before. I read a book once. I was really interesting about this guy that was going to rehab, and um, it was full of like obviously lifelong drug addicts and things like that. And he said everyone would just like punch dabs and drink coffee, and because your body, you're so desperate for some kind of drug release in your mm. body, you'd sit there and you could like it was like they could feel the nicotine and caffeine like going through their body, and they're just like, oh. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, when you're in the military, especially, mm. um, you know, I don't know how many times I heard, oh, I'll just have a diary to relax or whatever. Yeah. But it might feel like it is relaxing you, mm. or you might do it in periods of downtime. So you're psychologically associating that activity with rest. You know, whenever yeah. you stop stomping, you might punch a diary, or, you know, when you're not digging your pit, you might have a dab, or yeah, for yeah. breakfast, you might have your classic black coffee and diary. Gentleman's breakfast. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and so you're, you are psychologically associating this addictive substance with a period of, of low tempo or a period of recovery or an, your body's ability to to rest, right? But the problem with uh, filling that time with uh, substances like uh, coffee and cigarettes is that even though you are attempting to rest, the things that you are giving to your body are actually causing a release of stress hormone. And, uh, and because they are stimulants, they are, they're turning your rest period into no rest period. So you're, you're effectively just counteracting your body's ability to recover from stuff and you're forcing your body to submit itself to more stress for a longer period of time um, rather than less stress you know so you might dig your pit or you might go for a stomp and you're walking for two hours or you're digging for three hours or something like that and then you get your like little 15 minutes to have a diary while your mate does something or whatever it is mm. and instead of your body getting that 15 minutes to chill the fuck out it is getting fed stimulants so yeah. there's the opposite of chilling out um so these substances where people traditionally will use them when they are trying to relax uh, having the complete opposite effect on their body. Yeah, and you can see that um, 
uh, I know I've seen some like documentaries. There was this one, this American guy. He just he went through a really like he's recount he's um, recalling this incident where I think they lost some guys mm. and whatnot, the usual overseas stuff. And he's like, after he's like, yeah, I must have smoked like three packets of cigarettes just straight after, just sat there and just chain smoked them. Um, and I'm and I'm sure there's some psychology behind that, like um, trying to avoid the come down, especially the kind of adrenaline yeah. dump that people experience in those situations. Um, instead of having to, yeah, dump it all and hit that, that slump of energy, they can just sit there and just pump stimulants and keep the high because it is uh, avoidance behavior essentially. Um, and so with gas, um, if um, we talked about this in my, the last article we talked about to do with the nervous system a couple of days ago, um, we spoke about, say, fight, flight or freeze um, uh, to do with the sympathetic nervous system. Um, and so fight or flight or and more commonly now known as fight, flight or freeze is the thing uh, people are more likely to have heard of. Um, and this is a, all part of the same thing, really. Um, and I... Uh, go on to talk about, um, like with military people, unless you've been conditioned to respond to stressful situations a certain way, you will go back to just primal response. And like we spoke about in that in that other episode as well, uh, you respond in one of those three ways, you fight, you flight, or you just freeze. Um, you most likely won't get to choose how you respond. You will just automatically do that. Um, and for better or worse, that's how it's going to be. But in... Yeah, say so military environments where they've conditioned it. Um, I say the something we used to hear was that you won't rise to the occasion; you'll fall back to your level of training. Um, and so, you know, that, that doesn't sound very heroic, but it is uh, more realistic because um, what organisations like the military have done have made it, and they say this in the military too, is they've made it your second nature. So when something happens, um, and in, I guess, a common case in that context is, say, a, gun a gunshot rings out, um, you have something that you automatically do. It's not sheer, it's not, um, sheer yourself and just freeze up or just run in the opposite direction. You know, in that case, it is go and do your tactics that you have spent hours and um, training, hours, hundreds of hours training for. Yeah, I think on that topic, it is mm. interesting to see how people do respond in situations like that. Mm. Um, and usually, you know, you've you've got that trained response. Yeah. Um, it's a practice thing. But, you know, you're certainly not training away the sympathetic nervous system. No. Um, you are just subjecting it to a certain stimulus over and over and over again so that if that stimulus ever occurred in real life, your body would react the same way because that's what it is trained to do. So uh, in the example of a gunshot, um, in Australia when we trained, you know, six years in the military, there were countless times where, you know, someone would start shooting blanks at, you know, your section as you're walking through the fucking bush or whatever it is and your instinctive response becomes to um, to seek cover, basically. You just dive so, onto the ground. Run down, drop. <laughs> I can't even remember it. Yeah. Run down, crawl, observe, aim, fire. Yeah, Is that, that it? Like um, but more likely than not, your body doesn't know what it's... It doesn't know run down, crawl, observe, aim, fire. Yeah, it knows dive on the ground because this is what we do every single time. Every single time a gunshot rings out, I dive on the ground. Um, if I'm at the rear of the formation, chances are I'm not shooting at anything. Mm. Um, so, you know, anecdotally, when I was uh, talking to some people that were involved in a contact on the trip for four hours, um, they weren't in their section groups because they were over in a different role. 
Uh, they were in smaller groups, potentially not with their section commander. Um, and when they were fired upon, they dove and took cover, but then it stopped. Nothing really happened after that. There wasn't really any uh, return fire um, because when I think back to the way we trained, um, you know, we took cover and maybe the lead element of the section who could maybe see or hear where the shot's coming from, they might return fire. Um, but that was after a process of thinking or mm. uh, more likely the section commander giving orders. Um, when they aren't, when those orders are never given, you know, say you find yourself in a situation where it's just you and all the training you've done is with a section and you never receive that input, that stimulus of, oh, my section commander is fucking yelling at me, I need to do something now, mm. um, then you may not do anything. That's part of that sympathetic nervous system ki uh, kicking in. You know, you your sympathetic nervous system is, is going, fuck, that's a threat to our life. We recognize that stimulus. What's our normal course of action here? Get on the fucking ground. Uh, but he, but after that, it doesn't receive the stimulus that triggers the next part. It doesn't mm. receive the input of the section commander say, you know, whatever, up the guts, lots of smoke. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, more likely than not, you don't shoot back, you know, until someone yells at you to start shooting back. Um, and, you know, generally you've got the more experienced people who may respond better because they've had better training or they've been in longer or they've been exp uh, exposed to more a uh, greater variety of situations. Um, but you could even argue that this response system is why uh, IED blasts may be more traumatic than uh, regular contacts because it's very hard to train for an IED blast. Mm. Um, there, uh, To my knowledge, there aren't a lot of situations in training where you can blow up a car that you're in. <laughs> <laughs> um, so whereas you can get shot at, you know, you can um, have people fire blanks at you and quite closely simulate a contact, it's pretty hard to simulate the car that you're in getting blown up and it rolling or something and then you go on it with whatever you're expected to do. So the training in that situation is best as possible but it's very hard to prepare somebody's sympathetic nervous system for that occasion and so when it does happen, unfortunately, it is a huge shock and mm. it can cause huge amounts of trauma. Yeah, it's um, I think they have done studies on the stress response of, in this case, um, soldiers, because and this is very focused on the initial response of the three phases. Um, so this be most of the first phase. Um, when soldiers go into contact, the more uh, experienced guys, as they're, say, on the graph there is the contact point. As they get close to that, their stress shoots up right beforehand. But then once it starts, the stressful event starts, they even out and they all out and they're a bit more clear-headed. Whereas for less experienced guys, theirs is quite normal. And then once the stress event starts, then theirs shoots up. So there's this um, notable difference between people that have more experience with it and people that don't. But um, yeah, moving on from that. Uh, so the, I, the three phases. So the initial phase is the alarm phase. The uh, sec, so that is what I will, you know, kind of just talking about, and everyone is probably would have experience at some point. Um, that initial shock, something stressful happens, you have this massive sh um, shot up of cortisol and stress, and all those physiological changes um, really go in. Like you have, um, and I spoke of this the other day too, that kind of prioritization of functions where your body says these systems are more important to our survival right now, whereas things like digestive um, function and reproductive function are just not important right now. 
Um, then the second phase is your resistance phase. And this is um, the resistance phase can last weeks or months. And this is when you're just a prolonged exposure to stress. Um, and the final phase is exhaustion, and that is where your body can just no longer keep up with the amount of uh, stress demand that it is placed on the body, and um, it will start to have, say, it can lead to um, chronic illness and things like that. Um, so, yeah, and the general adaptation syndrome details that whole process from beginning to end, um, and they've... because. Like Marshall was saying earlier, there's the way the body reacts and there's the way that humans have tried to map that out to understand it better. Um, like Marshall's uh, example was yeah, when you first get shot out into the rundown crawl, observe maybe fire. Um, and you can do that with a lot of things. They used to do they do a lot in the military, like even for what CMAP, um, combat military appreciation process is basically they've given this whole, pro like detailed in theory, this whole process for what is really just I'm, my life is under threat. I need to come out with the process to get out of this and succeed, et cetera. Um, so obviously, yeah, the military has got a lot of uh, examples of that. Um, it's kind of something they've put a lot of work into because they have to. Um, but for the, just the average person, um, there's also a lot of benefit in understanding this process. Um, I know like in a personal, yeah, I guess anecdotal case, when my, I was like, my dad in his 30s got bowel cancer and I think from what he told me at the time, the doctor said to him, yeah, this is a lot of from stress because you've had stress and for so long it's um, uh, contributed towards this illness. Um, people wouldn't realise that can happen. You know, you think, yeah, life is just stressful. It's part of being an adult. You have all these responsibilities, whatnot. Um, but if you don't take care of yourself, if you don't give yourself adequate rest, um, adequate time off or step back um, or just general self-care, then you can have long-term chronic uh, negative impacts on your body and your health. Yeah, I think it's important for people to understand that the word stress, I think, is generally misinterpreted. I think when people say, oh, I'm stressed, mm. they they see it as this um, a concept, you know, a state of being, yeah. um, you know, a, a form of existence. It's ethereal, you know, it can't be touched. Um, but stress is a medical condition. Uh, it is it is something that occurs physiological uh, physiologically within your body, um, and part of that occurrence, as Dan has been saying this entire time, is it's uh, it involves a very serious release of chemicals within your bloodstream. Um, you know, these chemicals are not made up; they're not a feeling; they're not like part of your emotions. Um, you know, it it would be just as, you know, it's comparable to injecting a substance directly into your blood. You know, you could inject fucking heroin or you could inject cortisol for long enough periods of time, it might, it's going to kill you. Um, you know, so every time we, we psychologically experience a stressful event and that is determined by our reference point, so our, our perspective on the world, um, you know, whether that be a soldier that gets blown up by an IED, that in that context would be considered extremely stressful, or it is a um, you know thirty-year-old man getting told he has cancer. Um, that in itself could be isolated down as a stressful event. Um, stepping back, we could we could say that just working, you know, eighteen-hour days for twenty years could be perceived as stressful. Um, if that's you know, if your reference point is that's what you've done for your entire life and it's starting to 
um, cause you know adrenaline cortisol release for an extended period of time, it is the exact same as injecting a substance for that amount of time. Uh, so when when we talk about stress, it is not it's not like I'm saying oh you know I've just I've had to work an extra hour today, mm. so I'm feeling a bit stressed or whatever. We when we say the word stress, we mean the release of adrenaline cortisol into the system, and that may be a sustained release. So a sustained release, like in your dad's example, where a doctor is saying you are getting cancer because you have experienced stress for a significant period of your life is because the brain is being taught by that person's actions day in, day out to try and release a chemical into your bloodstream over and over again because that's what it thinks it needs to survive. So if you don't teach your body and your brain other mechanisms of coping, it's just going to keep injecting the survival chemicals. You know, it's just going, we need this. We've always needed it. Um, we need this to make it to tomorrow and the next day. Eventually, your body is going to experience some fairly adverse side effects. Uh, the same as if you were to, to just continuously inject adrenaline into your fucking leg. Um, sure, the initial 30 seconds might feel pretty fucking great. But after 20 years, your body is going to go, okay, please have some cancer because <laughs> this is not sustainable. Mm. Yeah, and my steps are the ride in that uh Stress isn't, yeah, this, um, like, concept, this uh, way of being. It is a very real thing, and it comes in different forms. Um, yeah, there's, like, if you say stress, people probably think, oh, like, I'm running late or, <clears throat> you know, I've got a deadline, all this stuff, you know, you, you know, you start to sweat, your heart's beating, you kind of feel like you're peaking a bit. But there's, you know, the psychological stress, um, which, you know, I guess is relates to those things. There's emotional stress, um, things from, say, breakups, loss of a family member. All those things come under the banner of stress, and they're yeah. all contributors. Um, so the first phase, uh, I go on to each phase now. So the alarm phase, this is your initial phase. And this, like everyone has experienced this. I don't care how tough you think you are. Everyone has experienced um, this phase of stress. And that can do like, say you've jumped at a, from a scary movie. You've come around the corner and someone's jump scared you, like shocked you from around the corner. That's your body's alarm phase just ticking off. That's it's going, fuck, something's just popped up that we weren't expecting. Um we need to deal with this and then, you know, whether you realise it's just a dickhead trying to scare you yeah. or it's like a car that's just come around spooky, the corner. Spooky, spooky. Yeah, someone's cut spooky. you off in traffic or, yeah. Um, yeah, maybe you just had to slam on the brakes because you weren't paying attention and the light turned red or something. Yeah. yeah. Alarm phase triggered. Yeah, it's all triggers for that. Um, so, like, if you are a person that thinks, you know, you know, I, I never get scared, you probably just got a weird ego thing about that. I don't <laughs> Another know. one is... Um, that's even more simple is maybe you're like when you're a kid, you're trying to walk along a curb or something that's only just like this far off the oh, ground. Balance? Yeah. yeah. But I mean, when you are trying to balance on something like that, your body doesn't know the difference between a foot and 10,000 feet. Mm. It only knows that you are trying to stay on this thing and that falling off in your brain is bad. So, floor is lava. Yeah, so if you do tilt and you feel like you're going to go a little bit, your body will trigger the alarm phase to kick stuff into action that you don't consciously control to stop you from falling. Mm. You know, it can literally be as simple as trying not to fall off that little wall you're walking along when you're a fucking kid. Yeah, definitely. And, um, yeah, this, so this is where, again, the, uh, the fight, flight, or freeze comes into play. Um, and we talked about the other day the... Um, nervous system uh, podcast that even something like freezing has its place in your body's um, 
initial reactions, which are at the end of the day in the name of self-preservation or survival. Um, so freezing, if your body, if your if your body deems that f just freezing up is going to be the best chance for keeping it alive, which you know, if you happen to step out in front of a car, probably not the best thing to happen. Um, but in some cases, like the example we gave the other day, where someone, you know, guys in warlike environments, they freeze up, and yeah, they may let everyone else around them down, but they their body has preserved themselves. Um, so yeah, that's the alarm phase, that initial reaction, and that's also yeah where your body, the physiological um, indicators that you're in this phase are things like increased heart rate and breathing, blood pressure, um, inhibits the systems that are deemed less important, such as um, the dig um, digestive organs and reproductive organs. And cognitive brain function, I think we mentioned that. Yeah, we did mention that. Yeah, you lose a lot of dexterity and you maintain gross bodily function, so like um so like running or walking but if yeah if you were try if you were a drummer and you try to spin your fucking yeah. stick on around your fingers you'd probably struggle also um the ability to think logically mm. you can't process thoughts normally um so this is why they say you know like if you're angry um don't make decisions or you know because anger is a form of stress uh it is just a, a release of you know it's your personal way of uh, potentially externally demonstrating this stress response within your body. And um, and if you are angry, then you are experiencing a stress response and that stress response is affecting your ability to think clearly. It's just like I said before, uh, you may as well have shot some fucking heroin into your arm. You've literally got chemicals coursing through your bloodstream that are affecting your ability to make decisions properly. So if you think that you are capable of making decisions effectively when you are angry, you are wrong. So that's just something to think about as well. Like this isn't, it's not just stopping you from digesting your food. It's not just stopping you from, you know, texting properly. It's also stopping you from making clear, correct decisions. Yeah. And that's why, you know, people always say like things like breathing exercises or just taking a step back and coming back to a problem later are beneficial because the idea is that you will come back with a clearer head um, mm. quite literally. Yeah, all right, so the next phase is the resistance phase. And this is so after the initial shock, that um, initial period of your body spiking and the cortisol being released, um, this is where your body would normally uh, return back to its normal level. So the initial shock has ended and your body will, you know, reduce its heart, reduce the blood pressure, reduce its heart rate, its breathing, and some of the old, the other systems can start to come back into play. And if all the stresses have actually been removed, then, yeah, you, you um, will go back to, you know, what we call the other day homeostasis, which is just, you know, your normal. Um, and your body will go into rest and digest, et cetera. But if all the stresses are not taken away, yes, your body will attempt to go back to its resting level, but it will not actually get there and it will continue to deal with that stress um, as it comes or as it is. And this is kind of that um, it's remaining in a state of hypervigilance. Um, and this is something that, say, people that have had traumatic events experience, they are never really... Um, you know, they're always on edge. They're always got, you know, they may not be at peak levels of, say, blood pressure and things like that, but they do have elevated levels. Um, and, yes, their other, their other bodily systems are functioning, but they're not functioning as well as they should be, which can lead to issues. Like if you're not digesting things properly, then you're going to have, say, some diet issues and things like that. Um, so it's obviously quite an important phase and it's um, got very similar indicators as the initial phase um, 
with a big one being that reduced cognitive ability. Uh, you know, if someone is constantly in that state, um, and this would be where some people may look, just look tired or they um, aren't thinking or making as good as decisions as they used to because they are just in a constant state of essentially fatigue. Um, and this state, this phase can also last quite a long time, it can be like weeks or potentially months, um, depending on the stress. Um, I, yeah, again, examples of that, I say like war-like environments or I guess even in a more common thing, maybe like a domestic abuse environment, say stuck in a house with a particular person. And um, it also can just be from someone that is, yeah, like Marshall said earlier, working 18 hours a day. You are, you're just putting your body under constant fatigue for a very extended period of time and it is not sustainable without going into the final phase. Um, and that final phase, like I said earlier, is exhaust, exhaustion phase, which I guess is aptly named. Um, so, like I said, the resistance phase can last weeks or months, but once you have um, reached a certain point and the stress has become chronic enough, your body just reaches exhaustion. This is where it just can no longer keep up with the amount of stress placed on the body and it becomes unsustainable. It doesn't have the energy to do so and you will start to have um, observable, very observable physical uh, effect or uh, impacts. And like I mentioned earlier, yeah, um, like my own father had um, chronic illness or term, you know, chronic illness um, diagnosed um, and a large contributor to that, according to the medical professionals, was stress in his life, um, no matter where it came from. Um, this, and again, the um, further cognitive decline is a big one here. Um, and also things like depre uh, depressive and anxiety-like symptoms can come in. Uh, this, yeah, your brain, because uh, people kind of underappreciate just how much energy the brain takes up for in the body. Um, and if you don't have the energy to continue to keep the brain running at um, optimal levels, then it will have no, no longer just co cognitive decline in your thinking ability, but also your actual moods. And like I just said, with things like depressive anxiety-like symptoms. Um, yes, and... I did mention the last phase too, but also here as well, once again, is uh, this is where people will probably start to feel like a reduced, um, reduced immunity to say to illnesses. Like this where someone might um, be getting things like a cold will come up. Like if you even just a couple of weeks, and even this is relative to not just general life, but also in training, you see a lot of people that overtrain, they do it for a couple of weeks or a few weeks and they start to get, feel a bit shit. They might start to get a tickle at the back of their throat. And then the next morning they wake up with a sore throat and they get a sniffling nose and these things because the body can no longer keep up with the energy required to keep it healthy or run at best levels. Yeah, I think that's a good point to make before we get onto the mm -hmm. next paragraph is um, like we talked about with the nervous system stuff, um, it's it's obvious this is medical science, you know, and it's Dan's done his very best to explain it in a way that should be fairly relatable for most people that read it. Um, you know, not everybody out there is a doctor. Not everybody out there sees their GP regularly or even asks them about things like this. Um, so it's not what you would consider common knowledge, but it is out there. It's accessible on the internet and stuff. You can read about this fairly extensively. Um, and it does play a part in everything you do. So, you know, you might see somebody who uh, who comes up with the perfect diet plan. You know, they come up with the the best possible way to feed themselves, it's you know perfectly balanced. They're getting just the right amount of protein and carbs and fats, and they're getting all the vegetables and the micronutrients. And 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 on paper, 
this person should be extremely healthy. Uh, potentially, this person is overweight um, and they're trying to lose weight and they're in a caloric deficit and and they stay on this plan for, you know, say six or eight weeks and their weight doesn't drop. You know, it's um, by all accounts, it should be the perfect situation. Uh, say they've started an exercise plan as well. Um, it should scientifically lead to weight loss. It should lead to uh, an increase in strength and overall fitness, decreases in things like blood pressure and heart rate. Um, but what this person may not have taken into account is the stress levels in their life. Um, if this person is in a prolonged resistance phase or if they are in the exhaustion phase, which is uh, quite common these days, if you are an office worker that works long hours, uh, that has to deal with traffic every single day um, and finds that stressful, if you are a member of the military and you just have to deal with that bullshit day in, day out, um, if you for example, uh, someone who has not exercised ever and now you are trying to subject yourself to quite a stressful exercise program that demands you get up earlier than you've ever got up before or do more activity than you've ever done before. It's just a high level of intensity. Maybe you're somebody that's never exercised and now you start doing fucking CrossFit or something. Um, what you are actually doing is you're trying to do all the right things but you haven't managed your stress levels correctly and so physiologically, what do we know? We've just talked about it. The um, the digestive system doesn't work properly. Cognitive function isn't working properly. Uh, your body can't recover as well as it can. Your body can't sleep as well as it can. And you've created this scenario where you are feeding it perfectly, but it's not taking in the nutrients. It doesn't want them because it's still depending on cortisol and adrenaline to keep going. Um, you're trying to give it the right amount of sleep, but it's not sleeping properly. It's not making it into the proper REM cycle. So it's not having that ability to repair itself. Not only that, but it doesn't even have the fucking nutrients to repair the muscles. So maybe your immune system gets lower. Maybe you get sick. Uh, maybe you get injured because the muscles just aren't able to repair or the tendons aren't able to repair properly. Um, and so you will see people who just cannot lose weight because your body is too stressed to burn fat. They, uh, they cannot get fitter because they are too stressed to recover from their training. Um, they cannot wake up early enough. They cannot maintain a consistent diet or exercise plan because there is too much stress hormone in their body to make that sustainable. So when we talk about why this is relevant to everything, um, if you can't bring yourself out of the exhaustion phase, if you can't find a way to reduce the stress in your life uh, to to effectively rest and recover all of the stuff that you do in the gym all of the stuff that you put into your body will be for naught it will be almost completely useless to you your body will use it to survive and not much else uh, so that is a, is a great explanation right there for maybe you see somebody who is overweight and they may be eating right and training right for a quite a long period of time and they just can't seem to lose weight. Um, maybe you see somebody who um, trains really hard and you would think them really fit but they can't stop getting injured you know, because they can't recover properly. They're too stressed. Yeah, definitely. All right, so the uh, next part is called Michael Rest is for the Strong and it's... Um, basically taking the piss out of the saying rest is for the weak um, because it's it's just straight up wrong or um, I'll sleep and I'm dead. Um, you know, you probably, you might have seen those phrases around by people that might, you know, be live off caffeine and no sleep and 
shorter life terms. Um, I think I said that today, actually, something like... I'll sleep when I'm dead. No, it was like... If you don't um, sleep, you will die. <laughs> so, not but, wrong. Yeah, it's um, coming. Yeah. Someone said to meditate. I'm like, I meditate when I sleep. <laughs> it's like breathing. Well, I would that's, argue that's assuming relaxing. that you have good sleep. Yeah. yeah. I would also argue that, like Marshall's gone about in the past, that their definition of meditation is different yeah. from what meditation actually can be. They probably, um, they might want you to cross your legs and make noises like, um, but realistically <laughs> if, <how> sleep. <laughs> yeah you can do it in a lot of different ways um but yeah this area um part so those phrases you know sleep when i'm dead rest is for the week they're more than likely just justifications for poor life decisions like um someone wanting to stay up or party or whatever um fuck that makes me sound old <laughs> um, but really your resistance to stress um, can be determined by a lot of different factors um, a lot of variables and things like that you know examples age your health um, other general lifestyle choices such as what you eat um, and yes everyone will experience stress at some point and um, you can like I've been saying you can have um, different response to that through your personal experiences um, as well as those other variables that I just mentioned um, but in saying that stress, there are coping strategies to better um, deal with stress. And we've mentioned a few of these in the past, things like um, breathing exercises, uh, changing your lifestyle, such as so it might just be you just need a little bit more sleep, an extra hour of sleep, then I was going to make a radical change. You just need to improve your diet. At the end of the day, you, if you don't, you can do these things, but if you just keep the stress on you, um, then it will never have, be as effective as it could be. And the idea of this is, and I think Marshall worded this quite well the other day, is um, engaging, so in this case, the sympathetic nervous system isn't just a black or white. It's not either on or off. It um, And uh, the analogy you gave was it's like easing the off the accelerator because um, if you think of um, putting more uh, pressure on the accelerator is increasing your sympathetic nervous system's activity, so um, these kind of stress responses, but by implementing coping strategies and better lifestyle choices, you can ease off the accelerator. And with the idea being that you are giving your body adequate rest so that it can recover and improve. Um, so how you do so is fairly dependent on what you find beneficial and the context of your life. Um, like, yes, yeah, someone that is has to work a certain amount of hours, I can't tell you to, oh, you just need a fucking have some more vitamins and on you go you're good like you need to find you need a one you need to prioritize it for yourself because that's a a common thing is still people will say oh this sucks i want it to change but they don't dedicate or don't give it the priority in their life that they need to to make a change because it's again it's never going to be very easy um whether that's habit or just the demands on your time um so you need to find something that's going to work for you. If you find that going adding an hour of your day to the gym is going to – you enjoy that and that's going to benefit you, great. If you find just improving your diet and maybe going for a little bit of a walk each day is going to work better for you, that's also excellent. Do that instead. Um, and also you need, to, you need to draw a line between re, like genuine relaxation and rest and what is just like um, socially fun or what is recreationally fun because – you know, um, I think the example I give in this is, yes, yeah, social drinking with friends on the weekend is a lot, can be a lot of fun and it is technically recreational and a break from, say, the more stressful parts of your life, but it isn't really resting. Mm. It is just placing different kinds of stress on your body with 
most likely reduced sleep and um, things like alcohol, which are not conducive to rest. Yeah. yeah. Well, alcohol is a depressant mm. and, uh, and it has a very specific effect on sleep. Um, it might make it easier for you to get to sleep, but it has a significant impact on your REM cycle. Um, if you drink or even smoke weed, as we were talking about the other day, uh, it can actually affect your ability to sleep properly. So although you may sleep for eight to 10 hours after a fucking yeah, heavy drinking session, <laughs> you will probably wake up tired. Because, And I mean, I can speak from experience when we used to have massive nights out uh, up in Townsville, you'd get super drunk, you'd go to sleep at like four uh, in the morning and then you'd wake up at like 12, maybe later, 1 p.m., um, but for the rest of the day, you're fucked. You're exhausted. You can't think properly. It's because even though you have been asleep, your body has spent that time processing the poison that you just fucking put in it. Mm. Um, and in so while it's processing, you know, while your liver's doing all this work, your brain has to be put on the back burner. It can't go through the REM cycle that it needs to properly recover. It also can't prioritize the recovery of muscle. It can't prioritize the digestion uh, because it's too busy using its liver to process stuff. So you do need to be aware, like Dan said, that although a couple of beers on the, you know, on a Friday night might be a good way to wind down, if you have fucking 10 or 12 of them, that's 12 hours that you've just taken away from your body to be able to rest and recover and digest properly. Um, so it's, it is a case of, like Dan said, prioritizing real rest or finding uh, situations that are are recovery situations rather than different types of stress. Um, I think it's probably worth saying that um, these situations are relative, like Dan mm. said, um, and there is no such thing as a stress-free environment. Um, there is definitely something that exists that is a stress-free environment for you specifically, but I can think of like, you know, you might traditionally think of a stress-free environment as like a bunch of, you know, a yoga studio and you've got everyone sort of lying down listening to calming music or something and eyes are closed and you're doing your deep breaths, um, which by all accounts is should be stress-free, but for somebody with tinnitus who, when everything's quiet, experiences a severe ringing in their ears or somebody that has high levels of anxiety or uh, PTSD-like symptoms, when everything's quiet, maybe their brain just goes wild. So for everybody else, they're lying there, chilled out, you know, mind's blank or as close to and they're, they're feeling quite rested. For that one particular person, that could be the most stressful event in their life. Um, so it is worth remembering that just because it works for someone else doesn't mean it's going to work for you and vice versa. Um, it also is worth saying that um, you to remove stress, you can't just go, oh, well, I just won't work that job anymore or, yeah. uh, oh, I just won't do those things. Um, we know that you do need to eat uh, a certain type of diet, you know, a balanced diet or one with certain levels of nutrition um, to stay healthy, right? So if eating salad stresses you out, <laughs> that's a psychological thing that needs to be addressed and you shouldn't just stop eating salads, you know what I mean? Um, just like when I work, I can't just say, oh, I'm never going to work again because not we're not removing a stressful environment. What we're doing is just modifying the stresses, you know, and maybe you're not going to have any money and your family can't survive, stuff like that. So what you need to work on 
is not changing the environment around you. Sometimes that is required. Uh, you know, one type of gym might just be a stressful one for you. So, you know, for example, a commercial gym might just not be the type of gym for you. So you need to go and find a, maybe a more of a boutique gym or a gym with a different focus. You know, maybe CrossFit isn't the way to go for you, but powerlifting really works. Um, so what I mean by this is if you are finding yourself stressed at work or if you are finding yourself stressed sitting in traffic, and you know that that is going to be a part of your day or you're finding yourself stressed dealing with your kids or your missus, uh, you're finding yourself dealing with consistently stressful situations in an environment that you can't or shouldn't change, it is, uh, you know, that is an indicator to you that you need to find a different way to deal with these situations. Um, stress is something that happens from our perception of what is going on around us. So um, if you can find a way to teach your brain that a certain situation is not stressful or is a low level stressor, it will react that way. You know, so what that means is um, I can just think of a, you know, an example from my life. I've had a conversation with someone recently whose job uh, was really high intensity. You know, they're constantly talking to people about very stressful events in their lives. Uh, they're constantly dealing with not only the stress of the interactions they have for their job, but on top of that, they're dealing with the added stress of all the people around them. So, you know, they work in a place where there is a lot of people talking to a lot of other people about very stressful things. So not only do they have the stress of that conversation, but they have the stress of all of their peers saying how stressed they are. So you've just got this environment where everyone is sort of feeding off each other. And if you let all of that in, if you are consistently perceiving that as stressful and you are taking that stress on and and saying, this stress is mine, I need to, I need to process this, your body is going to be stressed. But if you can find a way, whether it be taking a breath between uh, activities or understanding that you are not responsible for the actions of everyone else in that environment or you have a, a thought process that you can go through or you have a way that you can uh, compartmentalize certain tasks in that environment you can you can very effectively reduce the stress of that environment uh, for example in the military you know if I find field you know going out field a very stressful activity uh, because I feel like I'm not fit enough um, because I feel like uh, it's a long time away from my family or, you know, maybe I feel like uh, the activities that we're doing are, are, you know, too high intensity. I need to figure out a way to reframe all of those things. You know, I could work on getting fitter so that when I'm out field, it's maybe less painful or less uh, physically exhausting. Um, maybe I find a way to enjoy some of the activities that you're doing. Uh, I know that can be hard to just say sitting behind a desk. Um, nobody really enjoys digging at three o'clock in the fucking morning. Um, but, you know, there are, I, you know, I can remember certain things like, um, you know, I was able to go through a mental process when I was on patrol that made the patrol not enjoyable, but certainly more engaging for me so that I was in less pain. I wasn't taking notice of how much everything was heavy and hurt and was boring. Um, you know, my mental process might have been, uh, you know, for me it was it was kind of simple. It sounds really dumb, but I would just go through this checklist of like I would, I would scan uh, background, middle ground, foreground, and then I would uh, 
do like this little buddy check where I'd check the guy in front of me and I'd check the guy behind me and I'd see if they were doing okay. Like in my mind, I'd be like, oh, I wonder how that guy's going. You know, he looks like he's doing fine. Okay, that's good. I don't need to check on him when we stop. Um, and then I'd check the guy behind me, do the same thing. And then I would, um, you know, do a little check around myself or whatever it was. And then I'd go back and do the whole thing again. And before I knew it, the patrol was over or we were resting or whatever it might be. Um, and instead of spending the time focusing on how much my fucking pack weighed or how much my knee hurt or something, I was spending my time focusing on other little tasks, which changed my perception of that situation, which reduced the stress response on my body. So that's a fairly specific example, but I still uh, think of Shakira songs. <laughs> Did you really? That sounds like an absolute nightmare. Yeah. No, I didn't. Um, um, yeah, so it's um, I I would just say, and I know we are right in the home stretch. Yeah, I was going to say if there's anything to read out, which we're doing now before we wrap up. Yeah, yeah. Um, we had. I'll bring this guy over here. Yeah, we'll take it. Um, Trent said, "What's up?" Tay said, "Hey, gents." Dusty hey, got on, and we also had high octane on. Um, okay. Not fitting, fitting said, for a stress-related article, high octane. Yeah. Uh, Ninety one Tay said. Relatable to stress in a workplace, not just on deployment, question mark, similar to burnout. Yes. Mark. Yeah. I just, yeah. I think I like, I know we have a tendency to lean towards the military stuff um, because of our backgrounds. But, <laughs> but um, yeah, I did also say that, yeah, someone that, you know, in the work environment, this is a very common thing. And things like um, uh, fatigue, um, what's it, chronic fatigue, and um, what's it, the other one? This. Uh, adrenaline, something. I don't know. But yeah, stress-related um, conditions are much more common now um, because of the modern work environment. Um, I guess work environment in general. So it's not like you know nothing is unique just to the military, or if there are, they're very few and far between. Um, this is definitely relatable to someone in the workplace that is just under a lot of stress. Yeah, you might not be going to work worried about getting blown up by an IED, but if you're going to work worried about something, you are experiencing stress. Yeah. Um. We had, no one Tay said, I need to read this article because it's no shit been me living like this for weeks. Mm. So You're probably in the resistance phase. Yeah. Um, I will quickly add just because it's related to this. Um, at the end of that segment, I did say that you should reach out to medical professionals, um, mm. whether that's a mental health professional or you just need to go and see your GP and say, hey, I'm experiencing large amounts of fatigue and stress. Um, they can help you with that or they can refer you to a specialist depending on what they observe. Yeah. Um, High Octane said, to what extent stresses could be beneficial? I think you said that, yeah, stresses could be beneficial in some uh, well, the stress is beneficial in the, your response to potentially dangerous scenarios. Um, I know, like, there's, like, it's a very broad spectrum, stress. Um, like, yet, yeah, I think someone uh, someone said, I think it might have been, you know, said recently, yeah, sometimes, like, the stress of things will get you to do things because it's kind of prodding you in the back because um, you're concerned about it, so you want to do it. Um, but long term, that's just, like, it's like anyone that's ever been, uh incentivized by stress it's not sustainable um and that's why you need healthier coping strategies with things like that um and then otherwise yes stress is and your responses are otherwise too because at the end of the day the gas response does get you better at responding to stress that is the idea that is the that is what evolution has done it's just extended periods is that's when it becomes damaging 
Um, do you have something to add? Yeah, um, the stress response is a highly effective motivator. Mm. Um, to go from homeostasis to experiencing a stressor and feeling an adrenaline dump, it can give you uh, levels of energy, uh, uh, you know, open up neural pathways that otherwise would not be accessible to you. Um, you've probably heard stories of people picking up cars in car accidents off the people that they love. Um, this is not possible without the adrenaline dump and the cortisol that comes with a stress response. Um, you know, some of the stuff that soldiers have been able to do in firefights would not be possible without, you know, to push through certain injuries. I don't know if you guys have seen photos of soldiers that have been shot multiple times and they've cleared a compound or dragged their mates out of a firefight. Um, this stuff is only doable if your body is able to uh, uh, prioritize certain systems, you know, prioritize the system that keeps you alive and keeps you moving and keeps you running uh, before your blood runs out. Um, the stress response is a beneficial response in certain situations. In fact, uh, say you are a power lifter, you want to induce a certain level of stress response to lift the heaviest weights you've ever lifted in your life. Otherwise, you won't be able to. Um, the problems come from when it, you are exposed to it for a significant period of time. This response is great if you can cycle it regularly and you can properly recover. Um, if you can, let's say uh, we just treat it like a, a training program. You know, if you can experience a little level of stress on Monday, a medium level on Wednesday and a high level on Friday, and then we can actively rest over the weekend and do the same thing over and over again by week six or week 12 or year fucking 10, you will be able to experience huge levels of stress over what you could 10 years ago. You know, your body adapts over time. But the key concept in there is not continuously be stressed. The key concept is continuously recover. Because if you can't recover, you can't do it again. So it's, it is a beneficial response. It just needs to be cycled, not experienced continuously. Yeah, and I added in the conclusion that it's small amounts of stress like Marshall was, just, Marshall was just saying is completely fine. The body is made to do it. And, yes, stress is – that's why general adaptation syndrome, the adaptation is in there. To, it makes you better at responding to stress in the future. And, again, remember stress is not just this one concept. It is – it can be a, a bunch of things. And, then, yeah, definitely just like Marshall was saying, where it's undulating, it can go up and you can get better and better over time just like you would with, with training. Uh, High Octane also said – uh, could certain training aspects not be a good approach for someone having depression? I have friends who ask for organic activities that can increase serotonin uptake and I don't have a clear answer to give, like fasting, intense training can be detrimental. Yep. Mm -hmm. um, so depression is an interesting one. Uh, it's sort of hard to address without... Um, access to a psychologist who can sort of tell you the the type of depression that person might have. Um, but ideally, you want to be conducting a regular assessment uh, if you're a coach or something uh, for this person just to see where they're at on that particular day. You know, a depressed person might feel like high-intensity activity. They might feel very capable of doing that one day. Um, High-intensity activity, say lifting really heavy weights, is a stressor, right? So it could potentially make things worse. Um, but if they're the kind of person that enjoys that feeling, uh, if they, you know, they really like lifting heavy, 
um, and they feel better afterwards and they don't mind being extremely tired or something, then it could be really effective. Um, what we know is that physical activity is uh, is positive for depressed people. That is, that's proven. Um, the type of physical activity has to be relatively closely monitored. Um, I would say for any depressed person, going for a walk outside is a guaranteed way to, uh, to release good chemicals, uh, to reduce overall levels of stress, even just a little bit. Um, as long as that walk isn't, um, you know, down the middle of a highway or something, you know, if you can walk in a park or something like that, um, or somewhere where you feel comfortable and safe, then that walk is going to be beneficial. Um, I would just, if you have somebody that is experiencing depression, um, you should recommend to that person that they should try to be physically active. Um, but you should say to them, uh, look, if all else, just go for a walk today, you know, just try it, you know, 10 minutes, 15, whatever. And then tomorrow, 16, 20 minutes, whatever. And just try and make it a consistent thing. You get outside, you get some fresh air and and you move your body. It doesn't have to be intensive or intense. It doesn't have to be CrossFit or anything. They just have to get the blood flowing um, and get a bit of fresh air and, and move their legs. Um, there might be days where that person turns around and says, yeah, I, I want to go for a fucking bike ride or I want to, um, you know, do whitewater rafting or something and if they feel ready for that and it is an intense activity sure let them go for it um but if they say no i'm not i don't want to do this don't try and push them into heavy weights you know you shouldn't if some if a depressed person comes to you and says oh i'm just not feeling it today at no stage should you go no, come on, just do it with me. It's going to make you feel better. You should try to encourage them for some alternatives. Low-intensity activity is always a great solution. Um, and they might not want to be in that environment. You know, there's a lot of contributing factors. So uh, if somebody is experiencing a lot of stress in their life or uh, they do have symptoms of depression, anxiety, PTSD, whatever, um, be aware that physical activity is good, but the level of intensity will always be dependent on how how they feel. Yeah, cool. Good answer. Sweet. All right. If that's the end of the readouts, we will wrap up there. Um, yeah. So I hope that somewhat everyone that listens to this has learned something. Um, and whether that's just general information on how the body functions or if it's some way you can implement some changes or uh, ways to better use the general adaptation syndrome to suit your lifestyle then great um but we will be back tomorrow at 12 30 p.m australian eastern standard time for a another training article um in between that and now if you'd like to check out the other episodes you can on apple music and spotify it's called the hard way and TD podcast and on app on on youtube we are able train development so if you want to check those out great otherwise we'll be back tomorrow for at lunch see you later Have a good evening Thanks for joining us for this episode of The Hard Way with Anvil TND. This is all made possible by listeners like you, so thank you for your support. If you enjoyed this one, hit the like button and subscribe so you never miss a show. Make sure to visit our website, www.anviltd.com, and check out some of our articles and other podcasts. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, any positive ratings really help. Or if you simply tell a friend about us, that would help us out too. If you have an opinion on something we talk about, we would love to know in the comments. Be sure to tune in for our next episode and remember, train smart, train hard.